Og lige nu her på DR1 sidder Tine Goethe klar til at præsentere TV-avisen. In the past, majestic ships and lofty captains sailed around the seven seas. They embarked on journeys far away from home to discover new land and to undergo unforeseen adventures. Nowadays, our maps do not show blank spots anymore. Well, true, our planet is widely explored, but what about other planets? Yes, you can trust your ears. Two entrepreneurs established a foundation called Mars One. The name says it all. The organization sends four people on a one-way trip to the red planet. I talked to Kenya Armbruster, one out of 100 remaining applicants in a cafe in downtown Oakland, about her reasons to join the mission. I was born and raised here in California, have lived in the Bay Area for over 20 years. Um, got involved with the Mars One project after watching a video on CNN. When I first heard about it, I wanted to apply right away. I uh, found their website on Google, uh, found their Facebook page, and still wasn't convinced. But um, once I started meeting different people who were already part of the program and who had already submitted their application, um, it made me want to submit minus two. I felt like I had the qualities, the same qualities that they had, or even more. So that's why I applied. The foundation will send volunteers to the Mars to build on their new home. The endeavor will cost around six billion US dollars, financed by a huge media event. To keep the expenses low, Mars One doesn't calculate the budget for a return flight from Mars. Kenya, what do you consider as your strongest skill to enhance the colony? I think what's most valuable is being able to work with different people from all over the world and being able to understand their point of view and their, their cultural differences. The flight to Mars will take around seven months. How do you imagine us living on Mars like? I, I, I mentioned the, the colony being cramped. Um, but we have eight years to get to know each other, to get to know each other's personalities, to get to understand the environment that we'll be living in. So um, I'm sure I'll be completely different from the environment that I live in now, but I feel like it's a sacrifice that, um, that needs to be made for the, you know, mankind. Mars is half as big as our Earth. One Mars day lasts for 24 hours and 40 minutes whereas one Mars year lasts for 687 Earth days. Furthermore, you won't find oxygen in the Mars atmosphere, which of course makes it hard for us human beings to breathe. Besides, it would be wise to pack an extra jacket because the average temperature lies at negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 63 degrees Celsius. You would experience 60% less gravity. Do you know of Mars-like environments on Earth? I think maybe perhaps the Atacama Desert in Chile would be a similar environment. Um, just in May last year, I went to the Hanksville, um, the Mars Desert Research Station in Hanksville, Utah, where I spent like five days um, in the middle of nowhere living amongst other Mars One candidates um, in, in the simulation outpost that the Mars Society's created um, out there. So um, we spent the day eating, you know, doing repairs of the hub. Um, eating astronaut food um, and just doing things that would be similar um, as it would be on Mars. So making sure our equipment was set up correctly, making sure that we were conserving, uh, 
conserving our water, um, getting to know each other, doing our own mock researches. So, what would be the worst scenario for you? The only fear that I have is missing our mark, our mark, and not reaching Mars, and just drifting in space for the rest of our lives until or until we run out of food or whatever. Um, but the journey there, um, we've all been told that it's going to be um, very cramped. Um, we won't be able to take showers. We won't be able to eat fresh food. Um, it's going to be very um, intense. But um, I think with all the training that we're going to have for the last the next eight years, um, it will prepare us for it. And the best scenario? The best scenario is um, landing on bar Mars in one piece together, um, seeing everything ready and set up for us. Once you all landed on Mars happy and safe, where will you get your supplies from? Yeah, so there's going to be um, eight missions to Mars before we even take off. The first one is supposed to be in 2018. It's a demonstration mission. That's when our, the um, we will have a satellite dish orbiting Mars. Um, in 2020, there'll be another mission where another a rover and another satellite dish will be circling the Earth orbit. And then in 2023, there'll be two living units, two supply units, and two um, life support units going to Mars so everything will be already set up and placed uh, for us yet there will be oxygen um, being made for us by the time we get there there should be 120 kilograms of oxygen there should be um, 1,000 liters or 3,000 liters of water available for us our solar panels will already be there everything will already be in place by the time we get there our, our seeds to create you know grow food in our greenhouses will already be there. By looking at the mission, do you see advantages for planet Earth? I just hope that this this mission brings people together and 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 create more open-mindedness. Uh, I think right now we're just so close-minded and we're so selfish here on Earth. But many different things are the way we conserve water, are the way we abuse water, um, the way we treat our, our world right now by polluting it and, and, and creating garbage, you know, and not really taking care of it. I just hope with the, the tools that we'll have on, on, on Mars will show people here on Earth that we can take better care of our planet. You know, we just need to try a little harder. I think once we do that, um, you know, the world will be a better place, you know, to live. But at the moment, we're just destroying it, which is really sad. Is the mission really so important to you that you decide to leave everyone behind? You know, I think root it down in me somewhere for forever. I've always wanted to travel to space, not particularly Mars, just I just always wanted to go and travel in space. What do scientists say about the feasibility of the Mars One mission? A pioneer's mission or an amateur's attempt? I talked to Matt Fillingham and Lawrence Kuznets to ask for their evaluation. Let's hear from Matt first. Well, I'm Matt Flangham. I'm a research scientist at the Space Sciences Laboratory, UC Berkeley. Most of my research deals with the upper atmosphere, the uppermost atmosphere of, of the planets, mainly Mars. I think it's an interesting thing to do. So, so my, my view is clouded, I think, a little bit, because my main interest is science, uh, science of Mars. So this is not a, in my view, not a scientific endeavor, but a very human endeavor. Lawrence Kuznets is less optimistic. They're crazy. They're fucking crazy. They're fucking crazy, Hans. They're absolutely crazy. You cannot land a spacecraft that size 
We've never done it. We haven't even come close to it. But, you know, we've never landed. We've landed t- the most, I think, a ton and a half. This spacecraft is going to be 25 tons. They're out of their minds. So my name's Lawrence Kuznets. I have a PhD in bioengineering. I've worked for NASA on and off in various capacities for 40 years. Uh, various projects involved water on Mars, the best places to land for human habitation, development of Mars spacesuits. I was in mission control during Apollo. How likely is it that the mission will succeed? I find that hard to believe, personally. Um, I mean, yeah, so I've, we have done all the pieces, I guess. Like, we have the technology to build a, 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 you know, a little pod they can live in. Um, and, you know, we sent people to the moon, and they survived. But uh, to put it all together, I mean, it's a much longer trip. And it's a, even the travel time to get there and back and also to, to be on the surface. Uh, I feel like it, maybe the technology exists, but it has to be tweaked and, and tested and maybe updated to, to really serve their purpose. I'm, I'm not confident they're, they're ready to go. Of course, there's an actual resistance to this business because the, the Mars One people, they're not rocket scientists. They're coming at it from a behavioral, physiological mentality. Uh, and I've spoken to one or two of those people. You know, they're, they're, they're dreamers, uh, but they have no clue as to what technically is really involved. They're not technical people. And after the Mars One mission plan came out, MIT students gathered around and looked at it and just ripped it apart and said, nobody's going to live past six weeks in this design. Are there Mars-like environments on Earth? The closest Mars-like environment on Earth is Antarctica. The closest one. It's a cold as hell. It's a dry desert area. And, uh, and um, y- you know, you can reproduce the, the environment pretty closely. What are the major differences between Mars and Earth? There's several uh, b- big differences. So the one was the atmospheric pressure. So it's much, much less on Mars in the surface. Uh, another one is what the air is made of. So on Earth, you know, it's mostly nitrogen. We have like 20% oxygen. It's, we all breathe very happy on Mars. What air there is, uh, is about 95% carbon dioxide. So that's um, not good to breathe, I guess, <laughs> to say the least. Another really crazy thing is the, um, because the air is so thin, you know, it can be really warm on the ground, you know, 80 degrees maybe on the ground, but you go a few inches above the ground and the temperature drops drastically. So if you're, if you're staying on the ground, your, your toes might be warm, but your head will still be freezing. Mars One plans on a six billion US dollars budget. Is this number anywhere near reality? You know, that, that could be feasible, because uh, there's a lot of testing, I think, that has to go into that, and that'll be a good chunk of money. And then, it's, I think it's definitely feasible because it's a one-way trip. If you want to bring people back, maybe it'd have to be cost a lot more, because you bring a lot more fuel and have a bigger ship and all that. But if you plan for a one-way trip, $6 billion might not be crazy. It might be doable. This couldn't be further from the truth. I don't care what these Mars One plan is. There's no obligate. The, the big cost is going to have to be fronted by... NASA or, or a consortium of space agencies. You're talking billions, tens of billions of dollars here. Mars One, well, Mars One doesn't have a, excuse the expression, fucking clue. To think they're going to pull off a uh, humans to Mars mission for $6 billion, dollars, I doubt it. Says the space scientist Lawrence. What kind of difficulties do the astronauts have to cope with during the journey? The, the nail-biting parts of the journey are usually launch and um, arrival, so I guess, so, so landing. The biggies, you want to make sure you, your launch is successful. I mean, we have rockets that, that don't take off the way they're supposed to, and, and 
you know, you, you lose spacecraft and bad things happen. Uh, so that's really critical to try and get the, the launch good. Uh, when, you're, when you're just cruising through space between Earth and Mars, you're just you're just flying through space. So that's that's relatively straightforward. Gravity just does the work for you. Um, and then when you, the, the landing part also uh, uh, would be very critical you know, to make sure that everything goes well and descent through the atmosphere and and land on surface. You don't miss the planet. We've done that before with, with unmanned spacecraft or or land too hard. We've done that before too with unmanned spacecraft. So you want that nice uh, cushy middle spot where you land softly on the surface. <laughs> the human body also goes through some changes. There's neurological changes. There's cardiovascular changes. The biggies... Uh, some of them take place pretty fast. The biggest worry is bone loss, because right now, many astronauts are losing a percent and a half a month. So you t multiply that by 6%, I mean, six months, and you're getting up to 10% loss of bone. You know, it's like dangerous. So it may be that after you land, you have to sit inside the spacecraft for a while in gravity to get your bearings. You're, not, you're certainly not going to go out the door when you land right away, unless you're forced to. According to NASA, there were 43 planned missions to Mars. 30 failed, but the most recent ones were successful. Does that mean we can control the risk? The Soviets, Americans, lot, lots of, of countries have tried to get to Mars, and sometimes it, it doesn't always work the first time. I don't want to get too optimistic or too cocky. We, we've done pretty well <laughs> the past few years. <laughs> A nice and safe landing on Mars holds the big chunk of the danger. This phase is called six minutes of terror. Why is that so difficult? The Mars scientist Matt explains it. Uh, you're going really fast. You start in the enter the atmosphere. Uh, it's kind of like how a meteor uh, gets really hot and, and burns up in the sky when we watch a meteor shower. So the, this spacecraft, this lander, gets really hot because it's going really fast in the atmosphere. It slows down as it goes to the atmosphere. But as it's as it's slowing down, it's it gets really hot and actually ionizes the atmosphere. So, so you're surrounded by this big uh, cloud of ionized gas which inhibits radio communication. So you can't, there's no way to communicate. And so for, um, so Mars Science Laboratory, Curiosity rover, that, that took about six minutes. In 1969, the Apollo 11 first landed on the moon. Is it possible to use the same spacesuit and just put on a Mars patch? It has to be totally different from anything that exists. The environment's totally different. Let me just explain why. The moon and almost every other place that we can go to has extremes of environment simultaneously. Space, shuttle payload bay area outside ISS and the moon. The part of the suit that looks at the sun is 250 degrees above zero Fahrenheit. The part of the sun is, does it part of the suit that looks away from the sun is negative 250. So you have a spacesuit that has to deal with extreme high and extreme low at the same time. The only way you can do that is design this spacesuit as a thermos bottle, completely closed up, closed loop. Um, everything recirculates and that leads to a lot of mass, a lot of weight. That's why those suits are about 300 pounds or more. Uh, but 300 pounds on Mars is not good for you because you have, instead of 1.6 gravity or zero gravity, you have 38.38 gravity. So now you're looking at a suit that literally weighs hundreds of pounds on your back and you can't move it around. And uh, if you speak to some of the planetary scientists involved, they'll all tell you this has to be a blue-collar suit. You're going to be out every day. You're not just going to be there with flags and footprints. You're going to be out every day exploring. So the suit has to be very, very light and very, very usable. And you can't get there from an Apollo-type suit or a shuttle-type suit. You just cannot. In case the first part of the mission succeeds and they land on Mars, which obstacles do the volunteers have to face after that? 
the radiation environment, uh, which, would be, which would be a big, a big health issue. And also the psychological aspect. I mean, it's one of the things that the training and, and um, uh, you know, how, do, how they select the, the, the participants, you know, make sure they're, they're not crazy or won't go crazy. You're going to have to deploy a greenhouse, of course. So you have to prove in advance that you can grow plants in, on, in, in, on Mars. You have to test the soil because the top layer of the soil has been pulverized by radiation for years. And it's like peroxides. It's like highly reactive. You have to dig away the top layer to get maximum production. But there's another problem uh, I'll tell you about. There are resources. That, that's why Mars is uh, such an interesting place. Everything that you need, humans need to live and uh, form a colony are already there with the exception of hydrogen, which is a biggie. And there's hydrogen you can get because there's water, so you can split the water if you have power. Ultimately, power is the you know, short straw here because power would enable you to take permafrost or water. If you have enough power, you can do almost anything. So you, know, you can get that electrical power by the sun. You can get it by nuclear, little nuclear power plants. You can combine methane with oxygen, and it's a, it's a power source. So it would power your spacecraft, but could also power generators for lights and electricity and stuff like that. So what is the overall judgment of the whole mission? A bold attempt. I mean, someone has to be first. Um, we'll, we'll see how it, how it goes. There are critics and supporters, and, and so we'll see uh, how it turns out. But it'll be uh, interesting to watch and see how it unfolds and, and how this... Because I, I do think at some point humans will probably get off Earth and go live other places, and, and this might be the beginning of it. Well, we'll have to wait and see. How it might take a single-minded individual willing to risk everything to make that happen. Good luck to him, though. I contacted the Mars One Foundation and asked for an interview, but unfortunately no one was willing to participate. Instead, they pointed out their website and press releases for further information. Hans Liedke for Planet Mundus. Just 